I think you know that uh, we're in the book of Philippians. Today we're in Philippians chapter 2. This is not a verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians. I'm not pretending that it is. It is much rather a, a theme drawn from the book of Philippians, illustrated, I think, well with the book of Philippians. Answering, answering simply the question, what made Paul tick? What made Paul tick? That is what, what drove him, what motivated him, what, what pushed him to do what he did and keep on doing what he did. And as you know, and perhaps I, it goes without saying, but I will say it, uh, whatever motivated Paul is supposed to motivate us too. You and I are supposed to be on the same page as Paul was. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul, Paul understood somehow or other that he was something of a model and that what had happened to him in his, in his conversion experience and in his early life as a believer and then uh, beyond that, uh, Paul understood that others would be looking at him and looking to him and rightly so. And so you and I, as uh, we think about this question, what made Paul tick? We need to kind of turn that question in on ourselves and say, okay, what makes me tick? What motivates me? What pushes me on into this thing of the Christian life? I brought with me this morning something from ancient days. Uh, this is a pattern. Uh, some of you probably know what a pattern is, and some of you probably don't have a clue as to what is a pattern. Now, have no fear, I don't have a nine foot, nine inch board here uh, with which I'm going to club, club you, no, but I did bring this as a, something of an example. Uh, how many of you ladies have been or are seamstresses and you have worked with patterns? Just raise your hand for, a brief, maybe some of the men have too. I shouldn't, I shouldn't just, thank you very much. Uh, and there are probably 30 different pieces of pattern in here. I'm just tempted to just pull them out and, and do that. But I don't think I should do that. But I did select these. Uh, First of all, uh, and by the way, you can tell these are kind of yellow. Did, did you notice? Is there a message in, in that? Uh, I didn't notice it so much until I got it out here in the light. Anyway, uh, this is a McCall's pattern. It's kind of a pattern. It's, it's kind of the bigger picture of the whole pattern, actually. And if you flip it over on the back, you can see all the various pattern pieces there. And then I thought, um, I thought I would show you one actual piece. This, this is kind of, this is the way patterns were. Uh, I think I have it right. Yes, it says McCall's straight up. Uh, this is the back of the dress. 
Now, to me, that does not look very much like the back of a dress, but that's, that's what it says. It's, on, it's the back of a dress. Now, what you're supposed to do, as I understand it, is to take the uh, material. I didn't bring any material today. Uh, you take the material and you, um, well, I guess you, you first you pin it to this pattern with straight pins. Somebody's shaking their head. Thank you very much. And then after you get it all pinned together so it doesn't move, I guess, then you cut it, cut these various pieces out. And then once you have all the pieces cut, and there's probably, like I said, 25, 30 different shapes and pieces in there, uh, then you begin to sew them together. And following the right procedures, it ends up looking like that or something like that. So you, that's what a pattern, at least in sewing, and I know there are other kinds of patterns as well, but in sewing, that's, that's what a pattern does. Now, I was thinking about this, and I, I had two thoughts about it. One is this. I don't think that I, even following the pattern, could come up with that. I, I think that is beyond me. I, I'm... I'm thankful to have a wife who has used these kinds of things over the years and sewed a lot of things, especially for our children. And uh, it actually, what she did actually ended up looking like this. I don't think I could do that. That was one thought. The second thought I had was, if I didn't have a pattern, there is absolutely no way I could have produced something that looked like that. In other words, I needed a pattern. And as believers, we absolutely need a pattern. Oh, not this paper kind of a pattern, but the pattern that the Apostle Paul talks about there in Philippians chapter 2. So I take you now to the text, and I want to uh, show you the pattern that Paul had and the pattern that Paul followed and the result in his life when he followed closely uh, to the pattern. Philippians chapter 2, I read the first several verses. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I should like to read those verses again. I think they, they draw very close to the, to the real guts of this pattern. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I know I'm jumping ahead of my sermon just a little bit here, but in those latter verses, verses 9 through 11, uh, I want you at least to notice those three everies. Three everies. They, they become rather, or I should say, very significant. Every name, every knee, every tongue. And in a sense, that's a, a side point for me this morning, but... I just pointed out to you, and we'll return to that in a moment. Paul had a pattern. Not a paper pattern, but a pattern for his thinking. This is how, Paul says, I want you to think as a believer. This is how, Paul says, this is how I have learned to think as a believer. So it's a, it's a mental pattern. It's a mental pattern. It's a pattern for our thinking. And every one of us, I include myself here, every single one of us must learn to think like Paul thought. Or more importantly, as he will say, we must learn to think as Christ thought. For Christ himself and the way he lived and the way he thought, Christ himself is the pattern. And Paul says, I, I want you Philippians and I want you folks in Xenia and I want me, myself and I, we, we need to learn to think as Christ thought. He is the pattern for our thinking. And more specifically than that, the, the pattern kind of closes in a little more closely to our home here. We need to think as Christ thought about others. Think as Christ thought about other people. So this is a message about our mind and our thinking, but it's also a message about one another. So I thought it would be good to take just a brief moment just to have you look around. If you, if you just kind of, those of you in the front kind of look to the back and those of you in the middle look to the edges and just kind of look around at one another. Don't be afraid, 
you could even wave if you wanted to. That would be all right. Uh, in other words, I want you to be conscious of the fact that this is how we are supposed to be thinking about the very people in this room. So we have a pattern. The pattern is Christ. And it is a mental pattern as to how he thought about other people. Now with that as kind of a, a backdrop, let's come back to our text. And let's just jump right in there. Verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being uh, in full accord and of one mind. Now, when he starts out here, in fact, I've often wondered, what does verses 1 and 2 have to do with the rest of this? <laughs> You're talking here about encouragement in Christ, talking about comfort. You talk about participation, about affection, about sympathy. Uh, he's talking about benefits that come to us because we are Christian people. These are benefits that come to us from Christ himself. Once we are saved, we enjoy his comfort we enjoy his encouragement. We learn about sympathy and affection. That all comes from being in Christ. But it is mediated to us through people. So at first blush, it may not seem like those two verses have anything to do with what Paul is about to get to. But actually, they are, I'll call them, the back door into his subject. You see, God's love and God's comfort and, and God's affection and God's uh, divine sympathy, they come to us through God's people. And so he says, I want you to begin to appreciate one another. I, I want you to realize that what you have from God comes through people and you need to start thinking then correctly about those people. The other people in the room. <laughs> the other people in your life. The other people in your family. Because it is through and because of those people that you enjoy these benefits from the Christian faith. So that's how he gets started. And then he starts with, then he moves, I should say, he moves then to some imperatives, some, some uh, very direct commands, if you will. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish, key word there, do nothing from selfish ambition, or conceit, that is being stuck on yourself, but rather in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
And there he introduces a word that is a beautiful word and on which I must camp a little bit here, and that is the word others. The way you and I are to think is that we are to put the good of others before ourselves. The good and the needs and perhaps even the rights, certainly the safety of others. Those things are to be more important to us than ourselves. So in a sense, we have to ask ourselves the question, how, how others-centered am I? Or how self-centered am I? <laughs> how others-centered was Christ? Because he becomes then the pattern for how we think and ultimately how we then treat other people. By the way, uh, and maybe this isn't quite so much by the way, but it seems like by the way, there is a connection between the way you think and the way you act. <laughs> I like to say it, thinking is the root of which living is the fruit. And the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about other people ultimately will come out in how we act and treat other people. So think about that word others here. He'll, it'll come up again. I read verse three again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of, and there's that word again, the interests of others. Don't be so consumed with yourself and your needs and your importance. Forget yourself. Forget yourself. And think about others as Christ did. And then uh, verse five, which is probably one of the best known verses in the book of Philippians and perhaps in the New Testament. In fact, I kind of, again, I prefer the older King James uh, translation of it. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind, again, we're talking about this, this mental pattern. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Paul says, I want you to think like Christ thought. And in doing so, then, I, I want you ultimately to come to treat other people the way Christ treated other people. And I, I just have to tell you, because it is true, uh, that verse 5 is, is not an exhortation. 
Paul is not saying to the Philippian believers and to us, oh, please let this happen. Please, I want you, uh, if, if you will, this is, this, I just would like to have you do this. No, it, it's not an option. It's an imperative. <laughs> it, it may not sound like an imperative in our English lingo, but it is an imperative in the original text. And so it's a command. This is how you and I must think. As did Christ. So you got the message. You got the point. <laughs> you got the idea. Okay, I've, I've got a pattern. Paul had a pattern. I have a pattern. It's Christ. It's how he thought. It's how he thought about people. And I'm supposed to be more others-centered than self-centered. <laughs> now, the reason I say to you that Christ himself is the pattern is because of what Paul does next in these verses. You know, when you, when you think about, when we think about Christmas, and we just have, uh, and, I, and you, I think you'll agree with this, when, when, when you think about Christmas, uh, we remember that Christmas story. We, we remember the babe in a manger. We, we, we kind of like to think about the shepherds coming on that evening, and then the wise men coming some uh, time later. Uh, we, we like the, the thought of the star and Bethlehem and the stable and so on. All of those things are, are, are beautiful and they're part of the Christmas story. However, I, I notice that in many, in, in many of the songs we sing and in many of the cards we send and many of the sermons that we preach, <laughs> that we tend to wed the the birth of Christ with the cross. It's kind of like, okay, you, you can't just think about the beginning of his time on earth without also remembering why it was he actually came. <laughs> and, and, and so we, we just kind of, just almost automatically say, to say in our minds, oh yeah, he came, and yes, he was a baby, and yes, that's all very well and good, but uh, let's, not, let's not forget why he really came. <laughs> and so we, we kind of go like this. Are you with me? We're talking, I'm talking tw uh, pulling together 30, 33 years from the beginning to the end, his birth to, let's say, his resurrection, and we kind of just pull them right together and say, oh, that's the real Christmas story. <laughs> that's why he really came. And if you just emphasize, you know, that first part, you kind of miss the whole thing. Or at least you miss the most important part of the thing. That's what Paul does in these verses. Paul, in a sense, takes a step back, starting at verse 6, 6, 7, and 8. And he says, now look, I, I, want, you to, I want you to see Christ. I want you to see the, the whole picture 
of Christ. I want you to realize what he really did, perhaps what it, what it really meant to him to do what he did. And I, I just want the, I want the impact of that, of that whole story to hit you. And to realize that what Christ did from birth to death was all for others. Think about that. What he did from birth to death, his en entire earthly experience, all of it, it was for others. Or to make it more personal, it was for you. It was for me. And then Paul takes that whole, takes that whole story, if you will, and he says, okay, now what drove Christ to endure all of that for others, that, that very same kind of thinking, that very same kind of motivation, what drove him, must now drive you. And as Christ was selfless and others-oriented, so we must be. My friends, you, realize, you do realize, you, you know what I'm about to say is so true. What I, it is so easy for me to stand here and to say this. And it is even easier for you to sit in the pew and wave, uh, do this, yeah, we agree, yeah. <laughs> That's very easy. <laughs> but it is extremely difficult to do, isn't it? Now you can do this. No. Extremely difficult. Because all of us are naturally, naturally selfish. <laughs> Very difficult for us to think that others are more significant or more important than we are. Much more natural for us to try to draw attention to ourselves rather than deflect that attention to others. <laughs> and yet that's exactly what Jesus did. And he did it in a big time way. And he did it, he did it in a consistent way all of his life. Now, we're going to look at these three verses here, verse 6, 7, and 8. And I've, I picture them as three steps. Think of stair steps. Uh, get a mental picture in your mind. Step one, and then down to two, and then down to three. So if you're drawing or if you're taking notes, just, just draw some three steps down and when you get down to the bottom then draw three steps up so so this sermon kind of looks like okay step one and we're going down step two step three and now we're going up 
and up and up. That's, that's kind of the flow of Paul's thinking. I also know that when I was with you in December that one time, I took you here and I used this passage as a bit of an illustration. And, and so you, you may say, well, Warren, you're repeating something. That is true. But we didn't, didn't quite do the whole thing. We just used part of it. So look with me, step one. As our Lord, the big word, <laughs> I love the word, I just love the word. Condescension. Condescension. Three steps down. And remember, please, our Lord didn't have to do any of this. He chose to do this. He chose voluntarily to come down. It wasn't because his father made him do it. <laughs> he chose to come down. Have you ever had a come down? I don't like come downs. And I have to be real careful here lest I take off and spend too much time, but I don't want to do that. But I do remember being fired from a job in Cleveland years ago, the summer of 1962. I was fired. I could hardly believe it. I thought, they really think that they can get along better without me. <laughs> but I wasn't bitter. I was just waiting to hear if the place would burn down. That's all. <laughs> I, I I, I, but I wasn't upset by it at all. I just know that come downs are difficult. <laughs> so normally we don't choose them. Normally they have to be forced upon us. But our Lord chose these come downs. Notice verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So step one, as God, he came down and became a man. He was God, never gave up being God. <laughs> But he added to his godness this business of being a human being. You say, well, what's, that's a come down? That's a step down from God to man? Yes. <laughs> absolute sovereignty, absolute unlimitedness. And now he's a baby. Now he has to go through the normal process of human growth and development. Now as a teen, he has to submit himself to parents. Now he has to sleep and eat. Our Lord experienced all of the limitations of human life apart from sin. When, when you, and if you could have stood in front of him and had a conversation with him while he was on earth, 
he would not have looked particularly divine. Only on one occasion in the, in the New Testament, there on the Mount of Transfiguration, that, that very word, he is transfigured. He, he allows that inner glow of glory, he allows that to shine forth through his flesh. And, and those disciples that are with him there on the Mount, it's like, whoa! He was brighter than the snow, brighter than the sun in its glory and strength. This was no mere human being. <laughs> he was a human being, plus he was God in a body, and he limited that glow, and he limited the use of his divinity, and he came down to become a man. Why in the world would he do that? <laughs> But you go to the, I read a little further, you get to that second step down. He says, uh, well, I, I, I'll take verse 7. But em he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As God, he became a man, as a man, he became a servant. That's the second step down. As a man, he became a servant. Rather than demanding that people serve him, and, and he could have rightfully demanded that, he said, and you know what he said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I didn't, I didn't come to be served. I, I didn't come to be a biggie among you. I came to meet your needs. He, he healed the lepers and the blind. He raised the dead on at least three occasions. His heart went out to multitudes that were as sheep not having a shepherd. And of course, well, you, a, a classic illustration of his servantness is washing the disciples' feet. When they were too stiff to get down on their knees and do it for each other. But the one I really, I really like the most, I guess, when you come to John chapter 21 and they are on the beach of the Sea of Galilee early in the morning and the seven of his disciples have been fishing and they've caught, they have taken nothing. And he shows up and they catch all kinds of fish. What is he doing? He's cooking them breakfast. <laughs> He's cooking them breakfast. He is serving them at the uh, literal table. <laughs> you see, he came not to be served, but to serve. He was much more interested in, in taking care of the needs of, and there's our word, others. Not himself. 
So as God, he becomes a man. As a man, he becomes a servant. And then we get to that third step down. And it's the most... It's the most difficult for me to describe adequately. As a servant, he became obedient to death on the cross. You see, the most important thing that a servant does is obey. And that's what Jesus did. He was the ultimate servant. And he obeyed voluntarily to go to the cross, even the death on a wall. My friends, death on a cross was horrendous. It, I, I can hardly imagine the, the gore and the look of all of that. And I have a feeling that had I been there and, and observed all of that, uh, I would have just wanted to run away. <laughs> and you realize he was crucified as a criminal with all of the shame of that, much less the physical brutality, but the shame of it. And the, the lesson that the Romans uh, used, the, the cross was to teach people, this is what happens to you if you... If you cross us, you've had it in the worst possible way. But our Lord, our Lord went down, 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 as, as far down as you could possibly go for others. Voluntarily. And Paul says, I want you to start thinking the way he thought. And I want you to start treating other people the way he treated other people. And I want you to really believe that other people are more significant and important than you are. <laughs> and that's, my friends, I got to have a pattern. <laughs> I gotta have a pattern to pull that thing off and to live at that level. And thankfully we have a pattern in Jesus. The story doesn't quite end there, does it? Because we get down to the bottom there in verse nine, the bottom of the steps, if you will. And now let's just kind of walk back up the other side for a moment. Therefore, and boy, what a key word that is. <laughs> Therefore, because of this humility, because of his willingness to come down voluntarily, because of his other-centeredness, therefore God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There's step one on the way back up. The name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee, step two, or at least the second every, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, 
And then finally, number three, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you have on the one hand here, you have this condescension as, as our Savior comes down, 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 down. But then on the other hand, you have this coronation as he ascends in honor by his Father. The way up is down. The way up, the way to honor, the way to affection, the way to happy relationships with other people in the church is down. As we humble ourselves and count others more significant than we are. Do you understand the pattern? You, we all need to grow in living like Christ lived. Thinking of others as more significant than ourselves. Heavenly Father, I fall short of this. It is so easy to be self-centered and to think more about my own comfort or safety or desires than that of others, whether they're in the home or in the church, or the work. Lord, help us to understand the pattern and then help us to follow it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.